You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. Williams of New York, Jordan. Williams of Texas. Trump world's got its traitors. The Senate's got its scum. The lower house got that jerk, Jim Jordan. He's a hate spewing son of a gun. He thinks we forgot, but no, we did not. That whole scandal from his wrestling days. And when that asshole trashes the country we love, we all stand up and say, screw Matt Gates. We say you don't leave our house in shit shape. You don't lead, you're just passing wind. You don't pull the wool over this whole country. No, we ain't going down with Jim In the wake of John Bain against Pelosi, yeah, she counted votes with an iron fist. She drove the right-wing nuts kicking Trump fat butt while didn't plan January 6th. Yeah, he jerked his own subpoena like a piece of meat. He tried to wipe clean all the facts. But now his phony impeachment is so evidence-free that the whole world has to laugh. Everybody sing now, don't you know? You don't spit in democracy's face. You don't claim that loser did win. You don't wreck elections causing insurrection. No, we ain't going down with Jim. You don't kiss Hannity's ass. You don't win when you're Trump's pimp. You don't threaten everyone who disagrees. No, we ain't going down with Jim. Ah, founder Singh. Getting us started on a Monday. I thought we'd we'd start off on a light note and uh, get progressively uh, <laughs> more serious as the uh, the hour goes on. Um, you know, uh, as I told you on Friday, 
yesterday, David and I and Jackson unplugged and we took a road trip up to Sedona because sometimes you need to unplug from the news. And especially when the news is as heinous as it's been. Now, uh, we can still revel in uh, the hilarity of the House Republican caucus, except when there's so much at stake. So it's really not a, not a time to um, laugh at their inanity as opposed to hilarity. But um, we will anyway. So here's where they are in the House. We know that on Friday it all fell apart. Jim Jordan, um, you know, he may have gotten 22 was it 22? Oh, 22 votes against him on the second vote. And I think it was 25 on the third. And now, um, um, and then they went behind closed doors. And when it was a secret ballot, over, I think, 120 Republicans said, hell no, we don't want Jim Jordan as speaker. And he bowed out. I, I think it's more legitimate to say he was forced out. But you know what? Semantics, shemantics. Uh, Jim Jordan will not be speaker. So, you know, we've got that going for us. Uh, now, there are something like nine, count them, nine Republicans who are allegedly making their case today to the other Republicans behind closed doors to see who they can get. It looks like the front runner is um, uh, Tom Emmer, about whom I do not know much, except he's one of only two who were not election deniers of the, of the uh, uh, 9, 10, or 11 or so who are uh, rumored to have thrown their hats in the ring to be the speaker. So go figure. Um, so, uh, we'll, you know, we won't hear anything more publicly on that today. Allegedly, tomorrow, <laughs> they will come out with a, a nominee, the Republican nominee for speaker, and then they go through the whole thing again that, um, uh, you know, the, the nominating speeches and the votes. And again, you will have 212 Democratic votes for Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker. And the Republicans are going to keep um, showing how truly and absurdly broken they are and that they are. Um, I was going to read you a list of the, of the nine, um, uh, nine. So one report says nine, another said 11. We're going for the job. I thought I had them here, but you know what? It's really not that important. Tomorrow. We'll get into it tomorrow, by the way, got a laugh. We'll be here now, just so you know, this is a weird time. Um, Laffy, you know, was in Canada, you know, her family is moving up to Canada, uh, another byproduct of, of, uh, MAGA, uh, but, and she was in Canada. There's, they were splitting their time between here and there. And the thing, honestly, that kept them from moving, I should leave this for her to tell you tomorrow, but I'll give you the, the, the Reader's Digest version anyway. Um, to, the thing that's been keeping them from going full hog um, was that um, Laugh, Mr. Laffy's father was still alive um, in his 90s and faltering. And so they laid the groundwork to move while they were up in Canada doing their thing. And then they got, um, 
and, and then they got their, uh, um, they got a call. They got a call saying, you know, he's not doing well. And they rushed home and they got home just in the nick of time because Laffy's father-in-law did die um, on, I think it was on Friday. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I hate to say it. It's the, it's the circle of life. And that's the, uh, that's, you know, so he held on long enough for Mr. Laffy to show up. I guess he got there. Um, Laffy, she's, she didn't get to see him and say goodbye, but, um, um, so she's going through that. Now I know (laughs) from when you lose a family member that sometimes it's hard to talk, but sometimes it's the best thing you can do. So I, she messaged me this morning and she said she will be here tomorrow because, you know, Laffy's on with us like every other Thursday for the most part. And she will be here tomorrow, but she's, you know, she's hurting as would be expected. And, um, and so tomorrow we're going to keep it light as light as we possibly can. Who knows? Maybe we'll have another edition of the Mal Ladies. For those of you who are new and don't get what I'm talking about, you know, malady is a, is a synonym for what ails you, (laughs) diseases and things. And when we get together, because we're all getting older, we start talking about all our aches and pains and diseases and diagnoses. And so I said, it's a new show. It's the Mal Ladies. So when I say that now, you'll understand where it comes from. Anyway, so we'll do that. But you know, as I was talking or texting with Laffy over the weekend, I realized that tomorrow is a really shitty day for me too. Because it was 44 years ago today, I was in college. 44 years ago today, I was attending University of South Florida. And um, I got the call from my dad who said, come home now. And what had happened was the night before, Um, I had gotten a, or the afternoon before I'd gotten a call from my mother and my mom said, um, that she was going to the hospital for some tests, not to worry because that was always her thing. Don't worry. Um, she said, just, I had some weird stuff. My leg gave out from under me and, um, did I say Thursday, Tuesday? I meant Tuesday. Sorry. I'm still a bit brain dead. Um, and and so I, I had spoken to her, my mother, Um, and she said, no, my leg gave out from under me. It's weird. I don't know what happened. So, um, yeah, they, they wanted me to check into the hospital so they could do some tests later that night. I tried calling and my father answered the phone in her room. And I said, "Uh, can I talk to mom? And he said, no, uh, she's sleeping right now but I knew I heard her voice in the background. I didn't question it at the time. Sure enough, the next day he said, come home. That was the 23rd. And I drove home. It was about a four hour drive from Tampa to Hollywood, Florida, which is where my family lived. And, um, turned out she was brain dead. She fell into a coma and, um, 24 hours later, they declared her brain dead. And it went that quickly. My mother had leukemia, but apparently her death wasn't related to the leukemia. It was a, it was a brain bleed. It was a brain hemorrhage. Um, 
And again, 44 years ago. Yeah, Hernan, it was, it was Kim. Oh, Kim, you lost your mother just, what, not even a week before I lost mine in 1979. It was, um, and it's two days, October 23rd and 24th. 1979. And, you know, my mother was only 47 years old. And now we're coming up on the 44th anniversary of her birth, which is, you know, horrible. We all are going to lose parents. I happened to lose mine 10 days before my 20th birthday, which, you know, no age is old enough to lose a parent. But um, 19 is too young. Anyway, so Laffy and I will be... uh, you know, comforting one another tomorrow. Because as anybody knows, when you lose a parent, especially, yeah, Kim, Kim and I, we have this uh, in common. We were both just 20, same thing, uh, 44 years ago. Uh, and, and you know, losing a parent that young is just, it's just horrible, but it's always horrible. So anyway, Laffy will be here tomorrow, but just know, you know, it'll be weird but isn't everything these days? It is. There was some good news today. Let's see if I can pull up this um, uh, video while I'm talking. Yes, I, 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 froze, um, I froze the video on this monitor. I, I was monitoring um, MSNBC live this morning. Um, uh, Gregory from Illinois, hold on just one moment. I'll get your call in just a second. But I want to show you the, um, I want to show you this video. Uh, there were two more hostages released by the Hamas terrorists, and that's exactly what they are: the terrorists who kidnapped, you know, over two hundred something more like 220 people. And now they've, they've released um, four of them. You know, uh, I guess if four is better than none. But yeah, they released four hostages. And here is video of, of one of those hostages, I guess, coming off the ambulance um, in Israel, uh, so uh, MSNBC was just running Israeli television, and you can see this woman who uh, being hugged and kissed by the Red Cross. She appears to still be wearing, I would guess, the clothes that she was kidnapped in two weeks ago, and she's being helped onto another ambulance. There were two older women who were um, who were released, and uh, and we'll get a little bit further into that. But uh, you know me, I will always go to the phones. So let's go to the phones. Um, hi, uh, hopefully that'll work on this computer. I'm not sure. Are you there, caller? Yeah, it's not going to work on this. I, I made the mistake of answering on the wrong computer. Hold on one second. Let me see if I can uh, pull it up here. I'm still getting the studio all uh, set up. I'm sorry. Um, Gregory in Illinois, I'm going to hang up on you. If you'd call back in, in, immediately, I will pick you up on the right, on the correct phone because I, I screwed up and I, 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 you know, I'm still getting my sea legs in the studio. I put up all this sound stuff. You see these, these um, pads in the back of me? Those of you watching on video, you can see a little bit of it. Um, there's a bunch of it. 
a neighbor on bulk trash day put it out. So I cut it off because this, these are the same things you get to deaden the, uh, you know, the sound in a studio. Um, but it, you know, at a fraction of the cost. And unfortunately I, uh, it's, it's not enough. I need to put up more. So I'll get on that. Okay. Let's try this again. Uh, Gregory from Illinois, you there? Uh, I'm here, Nicole. Hi. Hi, Nicole. Hi. Hi, I'm here. I hear I'm you. Here. And you're on the air. So you what's up? You, yeah, I know. You got you got delay on there. I got a delay on what? Through between. Oh, you can't listen I, through. I, the, I, you I can't. Don't. You have to listen through the phone. There is a delay with the Internet. You can't listen through the, 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 the computer. You got to listen through the phone. I was just calling to say congratulations to y'all. Have y'all moved. Hope y'all Real happy there. Well, thank you. So far, so far, so good. And, and good, good. And don't take this stuff in the news too bad. This is kind of <sighs> stuff that happens like every 10 years anyway. Yeah, but crazy. this is different. This is very, very different. And what's going on is, um, uh, is really, is really eye-opening because those of us who consider ourselves progressives, people like me who have, um, you know, I have I have sympathized with the Palestinian people's plight. I have been on their side. I have criticized Israel because Israel deserved criticism, yeah. and I feel like I'm I've been abandoned by my allies and by the people no, that I stand with, and by friends. Well, well, thank you. It's just that we are we are we have to deal with this thing. It's, it's going to be it's the same way every time. So I wouldn't sweat it. You know, I mean, like, I, I hear you. Uh, I you hear can you say off. that. You know, I, I don't, I only get to call you when I'm off. And the only reason I'm off is because my kids uh, are the same. Uh, I'm sorry. You, 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 you're, you're breaking uh, my up. My kids on... and my grandkids. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they couldn't catch the train home. They, uh, they canceled the train coming from, you know, Chicago to New York again. Why? Uh, I don't know. Like it happened to me uh, last month too. Oh. I'm from Rochester. I'm not too far from where Brett's from. I mean, you know, uh, uh, but he does uh, Randy Rose all the time. He's, I, he's from close to who I am. I have no idea I who that is. I can't, <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, I can't catch the train sometimes. They just, gotcha. They just, they just call you and cancel it. Okay. They just did that yesterday. Yeah, it sucks. Okay, but, uh, we, we've got a horrible <laughs> connection, and it's really loud there, so I'm going to let you go, and the listeners can't hear you. But thank you for calling. I really I do appreciate it, and I appreciate the sentiment. I mean, what he was saying, for those who can't hear, he's like, don't sweat it. This stuff happens every 10 to 15 years. No. No, it doesn't. This is different. This is very different. Um, I, you know, I don't have a guest today. But there were a few, there were a few people that I did put out calls to. One of them to come on the show today. One of them is a man named Maurice S. Isserman. Uh, there was a piece published in at the Nation, thenation.com today. Yes, David. Uh, you can you have a microphone there now. I have a microphone. You have a microphone now. I got your microphone hooked up. See, I did I did some work. I would like to make a, a slight correction in something that you just said. Yes. You said that you've criticized Israel. You've criticized the, the government Israeli of Israel. Government. Yes. I think it's in this situation during this time, it is crucial to be precise 
in what you're saying. You never criticize the concept of Israel. You no. never criticize the fact that Israel has an absolute right to exist. Yep. What you criticized are the assholes that run the show. That's true. Oh, I was just about to... I even have a second camera hooked up so that when David picks up that microphone, I can get him on screen. But, <laughs> you know, I'm slow on the uptake these days, but we'll get there. Anyway, he, he is correct. I have criticized the government of Israel. And just like, um, actually, I did hear the end of Randy's show because I follow her on the Progressive Voices Network. And I heard her say, no, the Netanyahu, the Netanyahu government in Israel are maggots. They are. They are MAGA. They, I've, just the same way I criticized Donald Trump and his authoritarian bent and um, everything he did in office, that's what Netanyahu is. He is, he is MAGA personified. And by the way, I just have to share this with you because, oh God, it's video. Damn it. All right, I got to bring up the video because I only saved this as video. And to show, you know, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but bear with me for a moment. Um, the media is so complicit in all this, it's disturbing. And to give you an example, they have been elevating the right wing um, trope that Joe Biden is old and 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 senile and and too um, you know mentally not there to do the job. Joe Biden, <laughs> whether you whether you like him or not, um, you have to admit. For I don't care if you're eighty three or sixty three, which I am for a few more days. Um, he is, he's got the mental acuity of someone who's very sharp. You may not agree with what he says and what he does, but this is a man who in a, in a period of 72 hours made a trip to the Middle East, to the middle of a, of a heinous war zone, turned around and came back and, and did an address to the nation from the Oval Office and kept going. You got to give the man some credit. Meanwhile... Uh, the former guy is, uh, I don't even know what to say about him anymore, other than the fact that he is a fucking moron. And what's today's date? The 23rd? Okay, so here's Trump at a rally. I guess it was yesterday. Uh, you, do you, do you, is there anybody out here who really wants to pit uh, Donald Trump's foreign policy bona fides against against Joe Biden's. Here's Trump from yesterday at one of his, oh, in New Hampshire at a ridiculous rally. Listen to this. Had a lot of the horrible things. The world is exploding. If you take a look, I mean, the whole world is exploding. Yeah. You know, I was very honored as a man, Victor Orban. Did yeah. ever, anyone ever hear of him? Yeah. He's probably like one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. What? He, uh, wait, 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 of- wait, one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. Now, you and I know that Viktor Orban is the authoritarian dictator of Hungary. OK, if in case you didn't know, I'm telling you, you should know because CPAC, the the the, the right wing, 
you know, conservative political action committee who does these horrible conventions, they held a couple of them over in Viktor Orban's Hungary because that's the kind of government they're hungering for, just in case you were wondering. But Donald Trump, who thinks he knows everything, oh, he's so smart. He, he, he knows more about anything than anyone. Tell us, tell us, Donald, tell us about Viktor Orban. He's the leader of what country? He's probably like one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. And yeah? He, uh, he's the leader of, right? He's the leader of Turkey, France, no. on both no, Russia. No, he is not. France. He is. <laughs> I'm sure uh, uh, President Erdogan, who you also claim to be a friend of yours, um, was loving that. Viktor Orban rules with an iron fist over Hungary, not Turkey. But, you know, it's Donald Trump. So the media will forgive him because they think he's just great. Yeah, so that happened. Unbelievable. Now, where was I? Sorry, I got carried away by that. But how, how insane. That's just idiocy he's a fucking idiot and and people are making like these false equivalencies between him and joe biden again you don't have to like joe biden but you have to wonder how this guy thinks he has any any business being within miles of the oval office so all of you and you know i love me some ellie mistal but ellie mistal has a a piece up at the nation today and I, I, you know what? It's, it's like, don't shoot the messenger. Let me pull it up because I just need to read you the headline. I didn't read the whole piece, but I will read you the headline because I'm hearing this from a lot of people, not only Ellie Mustall. And the headline reads, Biden's Israel-Palestine policy could cost him the election. The president's blank check support of Israel's war on Gaza is alienating many of the black and brown voters he needs to win re-election. Well, maybe the black and brown voters need to pay more attention to what's actually happening rather than the so-called news media. So I sent out, um, you know, I was reading The Nation this morning, as I tend to do, and I found an article written by uh, a man named Maurice Isserman. Maurice Isserman, hold on, let me scroll down to the bottom of the story so I can give you his bio. He teaches history at Hamilton College. He is a founding member of DSA, of Democratic Socialists of America. He is the author of The Other American, The Life of Michael Harrington. His next book on the history of the American left called Reds, The Tragedy of American Communism, will be published in June of next year, June of 2024. And uh, again, this man is a, um, uh, a, a, a founding member of Democratic Socialists of America. And the headline on his article today reads, Why I Just Quit DSA. And the, the, uh, the, the, the sub headline reads after over four decades as a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, one of the group's founding members is leaving in sorrow and anger. I, I wrote to Maurice, I emailed him this morning and I asked him to please come on the show. And what he said, he, he did get back to me shortly before 
uh, Showtime. And he says, I'd be happy to make an appearance on your show, but I'm a little overwhelmed with responses today. I did say it would be like 30 to 40 minutes. He said, uh, also, I'm not sure I'm worth 40 minutes of airtime. I think he is. But he said, uh, could we do it later in the week when I get a chance to catch my breath? Best Maurice. So this, um, this, uh, this article got a lot of traction. And for good reason, I'm going to share it with you. Of course, you know me. Uh, when I share something like this, I tend to stop down in the middle and interject a few things. Um, so I likely will do that again. Hold on one second. I just got to log in so I can read the whole thing to you. All right. So what, what Maurice Isserman, founding member of Democratic Socialists of America, wrote is... I've belonged to only two nationally organized left-wing groups in my life. The first, Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, for just over a year. The second, Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, for 41 years. My membership in SDS ended in 1969 when I was was 18 years old, without any input or agency on my part when the organization collapsed around me in a chaotic maelstrom of rival manifestos, mass walkouts, fervid chanting, and a few fistfights, all of which scattered the group's thousands of members to the winds. My membership in DSA ended with considerably less drama last week, when at a somewhat more advanced age, I resigned from the organization via an email. I left to protest the DSA leadership's politically and morally bankrupt response to the horrific Hamas October 7th anti-Jewish pogrom that took the lives of 1,400 people, mostly civilians, and saw over 200 hostages carried off to Gaza, both groups of victims including children and infants. Whether DSA will now follow SDS into political oblivion is for the future to tell. But one thing a lifetime of studying the history of American radicalism suggests to me is that as a rule, there are rarely second acts in the lives of organizations captured by left sectarian, quote, entryists. What do I mean by entryists? In left-wing parlance, Mr. Isserman writes, or Professor I should say, Esserman writes, uh, in left-wing parlance, the term refers to tightly organized groups who, without sharing, um, uh, (laughs) without sharing the beliefs of larger and more loosely organized bodies, join and proceed to either wreck or, where possible, capture them for ends at odds with the spirit and purpose of the original members. Without descending too deeply into the weeds of sectarian history, Entryism has been a recurring phenomenon of the American left since the 1930s. SDS and DSA are products of different eras, but share some common experiences. Both began as small organizations, each with a clear commitment to democratic values, as embodied in their names, founding statements, and leaders. Uh, It continues... Sorry, um, and, and and leaders both subsequently underwent a sudden expansion in membership that at first seemed promising, but in the end had unexpected and at least in SDS's case, fatal consequences. SDS grew from under fifteen thousand members in the spring of nineteen sixty-five to somewhere in the vicinity of a hundred thousand by the time I joined in the fall of nineteen sixty-eight. 
Among those tens of thousands of recruits, mostly with no previous involvement in any left-wing organization, there were also a few hundred members of the Progressive Labor Party, PL. Progressive Labor. PL was a, quote, democratic centralist, i.e. a highly disciplined and hierarchically organized organization, which had split off some years earlier from the American Communist Party, looking to Maoist China for inspiration. PL's cadre, the military language went along with the authoritarian outlook, proved very adept at taking over SDS's larger campus chapters because of well-honed organizational skills and high energy levels, showing up for every meeting, staying to the end, displaying both an unwillingness to compromise and an intolerance of dissent. In response, other cadre-like factions began to organize, at first in political self-defense and soon in imitation of the ultra-revolutionary posturing PL had imported into SDS. We're getting a history lesson here. Uh, The most famous of these became known as the Weathermen, the group that in the fall of 1969 would close down SDS, taking a few dozen committed cadres underground to wage, quote, armed struggle, i.e. plant bombs. All told, in that last frantic year of SDS's existence, the factions in the organizations, PL's Worker Student Alliance, Weathermen, one or two others, amounted to no more than a few thousand members. The other 98,000 rank-and-filers, including me, and most of the small chapter to which I belonged, helplessly watched the unfolding disaster that left us politically homeless. And then as a parenthesis, he writes, for a thoughtful insider's account of SDS's downfall, see the memoir by ex-weather woman Kathy Wilkerson, That was entitled Flying Closer to the Sun, published in 2008. Anyway, he continues. When DSA was founded in 1982, it represented the merger of two groups, one based in the remnants of the labor socialist left, the other drawn mostly from veterans of the new left, both determined to learn from the political disasters of the 1960s. Under the leadership of co-chairs Michael Harrington and Barbara Aaron Reich, DSA seemed to me at the time to embody the best of both traditions on which it drew, basing its political values equally on the two descriptors in its chosen name, democratic and socialist. And it brought to its political mission a welcome degree of humility. We would try, in Harrington's memorable phrase, to be the, quote, left wing of the possible. As it turned out, Professor Isserman writes, the 1980s were not the most promising decade to launch a new venture on the left, nor were the 1990s, or the first decade of the 21st century much better. DSA, which fluctuated between five and 6,000 members over those years, was much larger than the purest sects further to its left who generally counted memberships in the hundreds. But DSA was still small and aging. And then suddenly, in the second decade of the 21st century, Democratic Socialists of America had a growth spurt, not unlike SDS in the mid-1960s, bringing it belatedly to national political relevance. 
Tens of thousands of eager young recruits were energized by the 2016 presidential bid of Democratic Socialist Bernie Sanders, although Sanders was not a member of DSA, and the election to Congress of DSA members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib in 2018, joined by Kari Bush and Jamal Bauman of Bowman in 2020. Unlike my generation, for whom the overriding issue of the late 1960s was opposition to the war in Vietnam, most of DSA's new members were attracted to the organization by its proposals for substantial, vital, and above all, realizable domestic reforms. Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, student debt relief, tenants' rights, etc. As a result, between 2016 and 2020, DSA's membership expanded from 6,000 to 90,000 plus, while dropping the average age of members from 60-something to 20-something. Scores of new chapters opened up, including many located in cities and states that haven't ever seen an active socialist presence since the era of Eugene Debs, if ever. And those young, energetic recruits proved remarkably politically savvy and successful in the field of electoral politics, not only elevating four members to Congress, but also sending nearly 200 others to state legislatures, city councils, and other offices, almost always as Democrats. All well and good, except for the return of the entryists. Suddenly, in the eyes of revolutionary purists in a host of small competing sects, DSA was no longer to be sneered at as just a reformist swamp. Why Rob Banks, career criminal Willie Sutton, was once allegedly asked by a reporter? Because that's where the money is, he replied. The exchange is apocryphal. apocryphal. But substitute warm bodies for cold cash, and it offers a concise explanation for DSA's sudden attractiveness to sectarian strategists. Unknown numbers, hundreds, perhaps more, started joining in 2016. Some of them former members of defunct Marxist-Leninist groups. Others, in violation of DSA bylaws, still belonging to and carrying out the agendas of such groups. They proceeded to quarrel and compete among themselves, splitting and recombining under various banners like Red Star, Marxist Unity Group, and even the Communist Caucus. But they remained united in one overarching shared aim, to take a well-meaning, not particularly well-organized, and essentially social democratic organization still committed in practice to the original DSA vision of creating the left wing of the possible and reinvent it as the mass vanguard party of the proletariat that somehow they had never been able to pull off while operating under their own banners of deepest red. DSA, meanwhile, thrived between 2016 and 2020 because it proved it could win victories in the here and now, give and take world of electoral politics. And that, ironically, was intolerable to the entryists who preferred to refer to themselves as partyists because they didn't want socialists to remain as a wing of or even a loyal opposition within the Democratic Party. They wanted a break 
in the not terribly distant future from the intolerable compromises required to appeal to mainstream voters and to compromise with mainstream politicians. And they also believe that DSA members elected to public office were first and foremost obliged to follow the positions adopted by the organization rather than their constituents or their own conscience, as if they were already subordinate to the dictates of an old-fashioned Marxist-Leninist Central Committee. At each of DSA's biannual conventions in recent years, the sectarian caucuses, comprised of entryists and those they recruited, gained strength in the organization's ruling body, the 16-member National Political Committee until finally achieving a working majority in the August 2023 convention. You following this? There's a curious aspect to this influx of new leaders. Virtually nobody in the organization outside the ranks of the various caucuses knows who they are or what they stand for. And then in parentheses, uh, Professor Isserman writes, DSA members take this test, go to this website, the website being um, dsausa.org slash about dash us slash structure slash hashtag NPC members. I'm just sharing it with you. I will link to this article, by the way, it's up at the nation, uh, the nation.com slash article slash quit DSA Gaza Israel. Um, and again, I'll link to it from my blog post where I post today's show. It'll be at NicoleSandler.com slash 10-23-23. All right. But he says, go to this website and see how many names you recognize. And of those you know, how many can you assign to the caucus or viewpoint they represent? Professor Sermon continues, in the old days, everyone in DSA knew who Mike Harrington was and who Barbara Ehrenreich was and how they agreed upon or differed on organizational priorities. The same was true of other leaders in the in responsible positions in the old DSA, who tended to have long and public track records as organizers and writers. Whatever its shortcomings, there was nothing mysterious about the inner workings of DSA back then. Can the same be said today? As the new hardline caucuses gained influence, the issue of Palestine became ever more important in DSA's internal political culture. In 1982, when DSA began, support for labor Zionism was widespread in its ranks. But over the next several decades, the Labor Party faded as a political force in Israel to be replaced by right-wing Zionists. And the, prospect, and the prospects for a two-state solution to the Palestinian question evaporated. I doubt if many DSAers today would describe themselves as Zionists of any stripe, although many, at least many of my acquaintance, remained committed to Israel's right to exist, as well as its right within limits that it too often violates to defend its national security. In any case, there are few, if any, DSAers, veterans, as well as newcomers, who are not critical of Israel's repressive policies in the West Bank and Gaza. And let me add, or of mine, I, I am a critic, I have been a critic of Israel's repressive policies in the West Bank and Gaza, as have most of my Jewish friends. Hold that thought there while I get back to Professor Maurice Isserman's uh, article, 
that appeared today in the nation. He writes, but that doesn't account for the singularly important role of Palestine in DSA's rather short list of international concerns, completely overshadowing the attention paid, for example, to Russia's invas- invasion of Ukraine or to the rights of other oppressed peoples like the Kurdish Muslims or China's Uyghur Muslims. Concern for pa- Palestine, entirely legitimate in itself, also served other purposes for DSA's new sectarian leadership, furnishing a convenient stick to beat DSA's moderate wing if it wasn't willing to embrace the most extreme positions on the Palestine question, up to and including Israel's right to continued existence. Starting as far back as the 2017 National Convention, chants from, chants of, quote, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, began to be heard at DSA gatherings. And support for the BDS, boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement targeting Israel became a litmus test within the Organization for Political Purity. For the sectarians, Discrediting elected DSAers who failed that test helps to move the organization closer to the desired break with the Democratic Party. There was a serious push within DSA to sanction or even expel Representative Bowman for voting to approve U.S. funding for Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system and for traveling to Israel in 2021 on a trip sponsored by the liberal Zionist and pro-Palestinian rights group J Street. By the way, J Street is the progressive group that also supports Israel's right to exist, and they are indeed pro-Palestinian rights. Uh, Professor Esserman continues, the effort failed, but Bowman quietly let his membership to DSA lapse in 2022. Chalk one up for the partyists. And then he says, which brings us to the events of early October, which will not require an elaborate retelling, except for those who spent the last several weeks on the dark side of the moon. Hamas, a fanatic right-wing religious fundamentalist group committed to the destruction of Israel and the expulsion of its Jewish population, launched its offensive in the early morning hours of October 7th. murdering, torturing, raping, or kidnapping those unfortunate enough to encounter its marauders. Bernie Sanders responded the same day, declaring, quote, I absolutely condemn the horrifying attack on Israel by Hamas and Islamic Jihad. There is no justification for this violence, and innocent people on both sides will suffer hugely because of it. It must end now, end quote, Bernie Sanders. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez responded as well, saying, quote, I condemn Hamas attack in the strongest possible terms. No child and family should ever endure this kind of violence and fear. And this violence will not solve the ongoing oppression and occupation in the region. DSA's National, DSA's National Political Committee did not agree with the two most prominent democratic socialists in American public life. 
its statement on October 7th made no mention, let alone offering any criticism of Hamas, declaring instead, quote, Today's events are a direct result of Israel's apartheid regime, a regime that receives billions in funding from the United States, end quote. That same day, the New York City DSA chapter urged its members to attend a rally in Midtown Manhattan, called for the following day by another left-wing group under the slogan, All Out for Palestine. At that event, on October 8th, not 24 hours after the attack, one speaker would giddily note the slaughter by Hamas of hundreds of young Israelis attending a concert in approving terms. Quote, the resistance came in electrified hang gliders and took at least several dozen hipsters. That got a big laugh. There probably weren't a lot of DSAers in the audience, and no DSAer spoke from the podium, but the damage was done and not undeserved. Politically, you're judged by the company you keep. Worse was to come at DSA state and local levels. Connecticut DSA tweeted on October 8th, quote, Yesterday, the Palestinian resistance launched an unprecedented anti-colonial struggle without providing any of the messy details as to what that struggle involved. The San Francisco chapter of Democratic Socialists of America issued a statement on October 9th declaring, quote, socialists support the Palestinian peoples and all peoples right to resist and fight for their own liberation. This weekend's events are no different. Again, need I remind you the atrocities Hamas committed on Israeli families, on innocent concert goers, on people living and working on kibbutz. This weekend's events are no different, they said. Seattle DSA circulated a toolkit for responding to the events of October 7th produced by a group calling itself the National BDS and Palestine Solidarity Working Group, including a list of demands, the first, of t- the first two of which read... One, end all USA to Israel, not just military aid, all aid to Israel supports the colonization of Palestine and continued violence against Palestinians. Decolonization from the river to the sea, not just Gaza and the West Bank. We want all of 48. So, the Seattle chapter of the, this is me again, Seattle chapter of DSA is supporting Hamas's stated goal of eliminating not only the the Jewish state, but all Jews from river to the sea. Eliminate us all. That's what they're calling for. The elimination of Jews. Ring a bell? It should if our schools taught history anymore. I'm going to continue I'm going to continue. No, you're not. You're not watching a pre-recorded message, Rich, and anybody else who's just joined us. I am reading to you from a piece published today at the Nation, written by Professor Maurice Iserman. Iserman. He is a professor of American history at um, um, uh, Hamilton College. He's the author of numerous books. He's a historian, and his piece today at the Nation 
is titled Why I Just Quit DSA. By the way, he is um, a founding member, one of the founders of Democratic Socialists of America. He's been a member for over 40 years. So this is why I'm reading this for you today. He continues, under the toolkits heading messaging guidance, DSAers were instructed that, quote, liberating colonized land is a real process that requires confrontation by any means necessary. Resistance comes in all forms, armed struggle, general strikes, and popular demonstrations. All of it is legitimate and all of it is necessary. That's an end, end quote. Then he's, he writes, as for those killed on October 7th, the authors explained matter-of-factly, quote, settlers are not, quote, civilians in the sense of international law because they are military assets used to ensure continued control over stolen Palestinian land. You know what I say to that, don't you? Bullshit. And I'm being, I'm being gentle here. Uh, Professor Isserman continues, there were many eloquent responses to DSA's all but explicit endorsement of Hamas's horrifying atrocities, including those by Michelle Goldberg in the New York Times and Joshua Leifer in dissent. But the one I'd like to highlight is from comedian, writer, and actor Sarah Silverman, posted on her Instagram account on October 8th, after reading the National Political Committee's initial response to the events of the previous day. Sarah Silverman wrote, the DSA of which I was a proud lifetime member has lost me forever. Over a thousand slaughtered as of now, girls raped over the bodies of their friends. These are kids, babies, children, teens, elderly, many of whom, like my family, march in the streets nightly protesting Netanyahu and the occupation. That's who Hamas murdered, you fucks. Knowing Israel will retaliate, do you get that they don't give a fuck about Palestinian lives? And let me just tell you, this is me speaking again. Sarah Silverman was excoriated on the shitter on Facebook all over the interwebs. I saw people reading the riot act saying, fuck her. Well, I stand with Sarah Silverman. I stand right next to Sarah Silverman. In fact, I've never met Sarah Silverman, but I'm going to try to get her on this show. Maurice Esserman wraps up his piece by writing, so why am I quitting DSA? There are many reasons, but in the end, the most important one comes down to the Sarah Silverman rule number one for judging one's political associates. An organization that can't take a stand condemning a right-wing terrorist group that set out to murder as many Jewish civilians, including children and infants, as it can lay its hands on, has forfeited the right to call itself democratic socialist. It has, as Sarah says, lost me forever. Again, that uh, piece, Why I Just Quit DSA, appears in the nation at thenation.com, posted this morning, written by Professor of American History at, at uh, um, I'm sorry, Hamilton College. His name is Maurice Isserman, and hopefully he'll join us later in this week. I did reach out to him this morning, um, uh, but, but he said, you know, he's overwhelmed with the responses to his piece, and he's asked if I could wait until later in the week.
Okay. So now I want to hear from you because I, you know, a couple of times it's, it's hard to read and monitor the chat room at the same time. Um, silly Wonka, you don't have to find her funny. Many don't. That's fine. What I'm asking is if you guys agree with what she said, because I do. 100%. Now, I did see <clears throat> Old Sage Joe write, ceasefire now. Oh, uh, quoting Barbara Lee. Okay. Um, how, do you, how do you have a ceasefire against a party who says you don't have the right to exist? How do you have a ceasefire against a group who says their stated mission is to exterminate you and everyone like you? How does that work? David. Uh, yeah, I'd like to make another comment, please. Yeah. Um, I would like all of your listeners to envision the success of Hamas. Yeah. And what would that look like? After they initially slaughter every Jew that they can get their miserable fucking hands on, yeah. what would that look like? What would it look like for gay people? Yep. What would it look like for trans people? Gee, I wonder. Who what could be it, next? What would, be, what would it look like for women? What would it look like for anyone who was not their brand of Islamic? It would look like Iran. It would look like hmm? the Taliban. That's right. Where they're pushing gay people off of buildings. They're cutting off people's ears, hands, other assorted body parts. Where women are not allowed to get education where women are forced to wear complete coverings from head yep. to toe. That's what the success of Hamas would look yep. like. Yeah, by the way, a young girl in, uh, in Iran just died. She was declared brain dead after her run-in with the, what do they call, morality police because she refused to wear a hijab. That's what you're looking at here. You stand up, you stand up for Hamas against inner innocent people murdered at a rave or in their homes where fe- they went door to door, rounding up the families in one room, murdering parents in front of their children, and then murdering the children? This is who you're standing up for? If you are, then do not listen to this show anymore. If, if After hearing the words of Professor Isserman, and all the other stuff that I've shared with you since this monstrosity took place, if you still think that the Palestinians and Hamas are one and the same, if you still think that Hamas was a democratically elected, is the democratically elected leader of Gaza, please do some homework. There was one election over 20 years ago They have not allowed another election since. There have been uh, humanitarian aid motorcades going into Gaza from Israel by the thousands on a daily basis, except Hamas hijacks them, steals the supplies, and uses them to make bombs and to dig tunnels where they put their critical war-making terrorist machine under civilian enclaves. They don't care about the Palestinian people. They don't care about the people in, in Gaza. They use them as human shields. 
Now look, up until October, and somebody emailed me, oh, that's the problem with you. You think this all started on October 7th. Come on. Come on, man. I don't think anything started on October 7th. I think Hamas ratcheted it up on October 7th, hoping Israel would retaliate. What are they supposed to do? Say, come on, give us some more? But that's exactly what Hamas wanted because they wanted to trigger World War III and they wanted to turn Democrat against Democrat. Well, aren't you, aren't you good at, you, at what you're expected to do? The same way that, uh, uh, what's his name, on 9-11, that the 9-11 terrorists... ISIS and, and, and uh, who were they, the, whoever, um, wanted to bring down American society, they succeeded. We reacted exactly how they wanted us to. We went to war in a country that didn't do anything to us in Iraq. Oh, and then we had to go back and get Afghanistan because that's where the attacks were planned. What about Saudi Arabia? That's where most of the hijackers were. But no, we don't go after who's responsible. Instead, we do the stupid thing. And that's what Joe Biden said he was warning against, making the same mistakes. Well, look, Joe Biden's not blameless. And do I think you, you wholeheartedly you know, go along with Netanyahu's game plan? Hell no. He should say, yes, we will provide aid to Israel. Get Netanyahu and his Likud maggot government the fuck out of there. And let's put in a democratic coalition. But as long as we're fighting amongst ourselves, Hamas is happy, as is Hezbollah, as is Lebanon, as is Iran. And you want World War III? You're ensuring it. As for us... The silent Jews who have been standing with the people of Gaza, standing with the Palestinians. By drawing this line, you've lost us and you've lost a valuable ally. You know me, I'm a secular Jew. I hate religion. I hate organized religion. But I'm damn straight. I'm not going to stand by and let another Holocaust happen. Never again was the battle cry. Never again. And it's happening now. It better fucking stop. So much for my peaceful day in Sedona yesterday. Can't help it. Sorry, you got the real me. I I just, I don't know what else to say. I just don't know what else to say. (sighs) Laffy will be here tomorrow and I promised her we wouldn't talk about this. So we won't. But I'll tell you what, on Wednesday, Jen Taub is going to be here. She's the one who wrote Dirty, uh, what, Doug, Dirty Ugly Money or whatever it was, a lawyer. She's great. She's been tweeting the same things I'm saying. She's just like me, another secular Jew who's pissed off. Watch out, because we, ha- we have, oh, don't you know, we have fangs and tails and, and uh, horns, according to some people who don't know who we are. <sighs> yeah. All right. With that, I'm done. Sorry. This isn't what I wanted today to be. But again, this world isn't what I wanted it to be either. Yes, Kate, tomorrow I will share my Sedona experience. We weren't there for very long. Seriously, we drove up, we had lunch, we came back. 
but I did take a lot of pictures. So I will, um, I will try to edit them and bring you some of that tomorrow. Thanks for bearing with me. Those of you who did, I know it's a lot of people left. Oh, well, I don't know what else to say. Thank you for listening. I'll see you tomorrow. Wish I could go back to Sedona.